studying and observing and enjoying something while it's sort of being seriously threatened and, and disappearing in a lot of places without trying to specifically do something about it, it just wasn't so satisfying anymore. One thing we were already trying to do, even in our last expeditions, was involve more and more Panamanian students and sort of transfer leadership a bit more. The way that I think about the, the modern challenge is it's become more and more difficult to be aware of our membership in a community that extends beyond humans. Ben's a young naturalist who's just defended his PhD at Harvard Uni. For me, what makes Ben such an important voice is his empathetic and gentle approach to leadership. He's humble and has that amazing quality of wanting to use his platform to give other people opportunities. When leadership qualities are often seen as aggressive and competitive at the moment, Ben is a genuine breath of fresh air. He believes really deeply in being a steward of the natural world, which in general just means being involved in the environments that we rely on. And aside from his research on evolution and biodiversity, he has loads of creative projects, including some focused on education, like his social media handle, Let's Botanize. All in all, Ben is one of those people who's making science much more relatable. He believes deeply in action as well as knowledge. So we discuss his passions, we talk about uh, what he's doing with his research in Panama and how he's empowering other people to take charge in those areas, and also his general beliefs about how we should feel with nature. And I really like the message that he sends off with. So I hope you guys enjoy the convo as much as I did. Ben, mate, thank you very much for uh, joining us today. It's really good to have you. Yeah, thanks. Uh, thanks for having me. I feel kind of young to be on this side of an interview, but <laughs> no, no, that's what it's all about, mate. That's what it's all about. Um, very much warranted. <laughs> I'm very excited. Uh, so, yeah, first, I mean, tell us, tell us a bit about your background. What makes you tick? That sort of thing. Yeah, sure. So, I, I guess I would describe myself as a plant biologist and more generally than that, someone who's interested in environmentalism and biodiversity conservation, but my academic training is, is as a plant biologist. I just um, only three months ago uh, finished my PhD studying evolutionary biology, focus on plants um, at Harvard University, and right now have continued on as a research scientist there um, for now. But basically my interest has always been academically in evolution and in particular in biodiversity and trying to understand basically how did the planet get to be this diverse and the so the specific subject that I studied is called speciation trying to understand how organisms diverge um, to become new species and mm. try to tackle sort of one of the original mysteries of evolution how did um, you know, how do species form? And in doing that sort of work um, academically, doing that research, because I loved biodiversity and was fascinated by it, uh, you know, I ran up against some, um, I, don't, I don't know if you would call it like a 
cognitive dissonance or something and trying to understand and celebrate biodiversity at this moment when there are such obvious and serious threats to biodiversity around the world yeah. became a little bit tricky to know what to do with. And that sort of got me thinking more and more about conservation. And Okay. You know, do I have some perspective or knowledge or skill set that could help protect some of this biodiversity that's so fascinating to me and that I love so much. And so really during graduate school, I started thinking more and more, not just about sort of fundamental research and evolution, but also how could I get involved in conservation work? And that's taken me in a few different directions. And I'm sure we'll talk about that more today, but that's sort of from my academic interest in biodiversity as a phenomenon to getting interested in, hey, what can I do to, to protect this thing that I love and I find so beautiful? Yeah, absolutely. I feel like that that's um, what you said quite rightly, sort of cognitive dissonance of growing up loving this thing, as like I'm sure a lot of kids do. And then you turn into an adult and you have to adult a little bit and you think, right, well, how do I, yeah. how do I do something for it? How do I, you know, benefit the environment? Or I feel like that probably resonates quite a lot with, with lots of people myself too yeah yeah I I imagine it does a lot of my friends who um, I met during grad school I think went through a similar process during this time it's just like studying and observing and enjoying something while it's sort of being seriously threatened and, and disappearing in a lot of places without trying to specifically do something about it just wasn't so satisfying anymore so yeah, that's what sort of motivated me to try to fold some of that work in as well and, and find opportunities to work towards conservation. Yeah, for sure. And you do, aside from the academic stuff, because you've got a really good profile, but loads of really interesting um, what look like just passion projects, but actually it's, it's work as well, isn't it? So you sort of integrate art as well into that. Um, and I know you do your filming and, you know, you're interested in media as well. How does that sort of all intertwine? Yeah, I mean, I hope they intertwine. I definitely, I've always been interested in art as well, in particular visual art and um, photography and videography and other forms of media making. And, and I guess as I try to figure out what can my niche be in this conservation space, I'm hoping that that is a part of it because I, I think the way that can help is in communicating effectively um, mm. about things, you know, having strong photography or strong video can be a way to reach ears and eyes and um, hopefully get an idea into people's heads. But yeah, I, I just love doing that stuff um, for its own sake, but yeah. it does feel, I, I hope that kind of can be brought into um, together with my sort of academic background too towards conservation work what was it uh, what was it for you do you reckon that got you totally hooked on biodiversity i know for me i was obsessed with it was actually it was steve owen first um but just watching those shows and they're all so ridiculous but now it's turned into oh, david attenborough no absolutely yeah it was yeah, just yeah. stupid but amazing no yeah for sure i mean like some of the most entertaining i think wildlife presenters ever we're working in the sort of late 90s early yeah. 2000s and I was watching all those shows too Steve Irwin and Jeff Corwin and then 
some as much David Attenborough as as we were getting imported in the U.S. Um, that that definitely played a big part um, in becoming fascinated with biodiversity. Something else for me is I sometimes jokingly describe myself as a field guide junkie. I'm like super <laughs> addicted to field guides. I think I have probably close to 40 field guides, something like that. Just oh, you mean, sorry, you mean the books, groups. right? Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, the books, the books. And as a kid, I would just like read field guides, <laughs> you know, just like cover to cover. Let me learn every bird yeah, that lives yeah. here. Um, and start getting field guides to places I, di I didn't even live, you know, and I didn't have any opportunity to see these things. But field guides as a sort of an artistic expression of trying to grapple with the incredible amount of diversity that we get to live among uh, were like magical objects to me. Yeah. And I think that has a lot to do with, you know, once I got started getting in school, like, oh, I could study like you know, why is it the case that there's three pages of hummingbirds in this field guide? Like, why isn't there just one hummingbird? You yeah. know what I mean? That I, I always was like thinking about my field guide collection back at home when I was doing it. I still love field guides. Yeah, yeah. I, it's like, uh, yeah, oh, these are the, the deepest, darkest secrets of me, but I sometimes wish that life was like a Pokemon game because it's sometimes, well, I don't even wish, it is oh, like yeah. a Pokemon game because when you get those books and I know exactly what you mean, like there are so many of these and they're all so similar, but weird and wonderfully different. It's like, right. What makes this life. one special? What makes this? Yeah. 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 That's a great, that's a great thing too, is Pokemon. Like we were sort of, I think the right age for that to just hit us full force. Yeah. And I think it tapped into some of this impulse that makes me love bird watching or, you know, botanizing, looking at plants. It's a similar impulse that I think yeah. it was like Pokemon tapped yeah. into. In fact, you're right. It's like a golden era of environmental influence. It's fantastic. <laughs> um, right. Steve Rowan plus Pokemon. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> oh, um, so anyway, going away from the, you know, the, the wonderful potentials of life, what um, your, your, so your research, which I know, so like you said, you're, you're a botanist by practice, I guess, but you do a lot of work, which I want to delve into, but you do a lot of work in, or you have done anyway, in something called the Mamoni Valley Reserve, um, which I'm saying right. But yeah, could you tell us a little bit about that? Because that's based out in Panama. Yeah, in Panama. Yeah. Yeah. So for my uh, actual dissertation research, I started getting to do some field work in the U.S., um, visiting field sites where my plants lived. And mm. that was a lot of fun. But having grown up watching, you know, Steve Irwin and Attenborough and, and these sorts of shows I always wanted to have chances to visit the tropics mm. and I finally sort of serendipitously was connected with this nature preserve in Panama the Mamani Valley Preserve that you mentioned it's in central Panama and yes yeah, sort of recognized what I thought was an opportunity to sort of use my background and skills and academic training to contribute to the conservation mission of that preserve and started separate from my actual dissertation research. I had a very patient and supportive advisor, which I'm very grateful for, who, who let me spend time on this, um, this work. But I started this project where the goal was to basically do two things. One was 
to use my sort of skills as a field biologist and those of my friends and peers who I knew who were also really talented field biologists to create a careful resource documenting the biodiversity that exists within the protected boundaries of the preserve, because that sort of baseline information was not known uh, at present. Still, I mean, it's the tropics, so it's so incredibly diverse. We maybe mm. never re really feel like we've, oh, okay, we've recorded everything, but at least, you know, start to make a serious effort towards understanding what is there within the protected boundaries, Sure, um, which is important for evaluating, you know, success of that preserve as a, towards its biodiversity conservation mission. It has other aspects of this mission, but for this part of um, the mission, which is protecting biodiversity, it's important to know what's there and looking into the future. Okay, do we have, have we been losing species? Have we actually, are we protecting more things that have shown up here because it's a stable habitat? So yeah. one of the goals was just to, to collect that data in a sort of careful, rigorous way. Um, and the other goal was to have all of this be led by early career biologists, early career scientists, just young people in general, um, and give uh, people who are at an early stage in their career, hopefully a really sort of exciting, like spark experience kind of that um, would empower them and, and motivate them i hope you know these are this is the aspirations of the project yeah, of right? course, yeah. uh to to keep doing you know uh, bigger and better ideas uh, in their own careers moving forward so mm -hmm. basically the structure of the project that i came up with which we call the mamani valley preserve natural history project is to organize small teams of early career biologists and um to the degree that's possible, fully fund, so they don't have to worry about financial barriers yeah. to participate. Um, uh, Week-long expeditions where we have a target group of organisms, say insects or reptiles and amphibians or ferns um, that we're focused on documenting for that expedition. And we go to the preserve and just have uh, fun in the way that field biologists have fun which is uh, yep. like with, with the field extremely books, yeah. sweaty and muddy and yeah <laughs> and um you know stay up until 2 a.m and um uh and just see as much cool stuff as we can and and take careful notes and photographs and yeah. um gps coordinates and you know collect the data to get a good sense of of what's living and being protected by the preserve so um what we have tried to to give back to the preserve is the data itself. Here's what you know we've documented um, confidently living here, and also some educational resources. We've tried to make some reports and little field guides to the stuff that we're seeing commonly around the preserve um, that future visitors can use to try, sort of you know figure out what what they're seeing as well. Yeah. And it's been a lot of fun it's been a great learning experience for me as well like for sure the most sort of logistical responsibility and project management sort of responsibility that i've had and fundraising as well yeah um, that i've had so far but has been a great learning experience and certainly a success from the point of view of you know me and the other young people who have gotten to go on these trips um 
and I, and I think the preserve, I think, would say it's been a success from their end as well. So. Yeah, good. It sounds and it's been a lot of fun. It um yeah, I mean, <clears throat> it is amazing because I, you know, so I did zoology at, at uni, and I managed to go. I was lucky enough to go away as well um, on a relatively long expedition, and you know, I've always been tempted to go back and organize something, but they are obviously logistically massive but you gain so many just for people who think it might be for them you get you do gain so many skills it's really good that you mentioned them there because i think a lot of people kind of go into sciences and think oh you don't necessarily get those project management or stuff like that but it's really really demanding and very cool and it you know as, yeah. as you can attest to but um it's also amazing that you can get like you said young people out there when cost and you know availability of of these things are actually pretty high so when people are looking for volunteer projects they're not just volunteer projects they're volunteer projects with an extortionate cost more so than a holiday a lot of the time um yeah so i think it's really amazing and is that what's the because obviously covid's been tricky um you know for travel and yeah is it a sort of still sustainable is it what's the future of it looking like it's a good question so i think COVID forced a sort of reevaluation of, okay, what, what can this look like moving forward? So our last expedition was January of 2020. Mm. And we've naively thought like, oh, we'll keep doing these you know, every year. Um, our last expedition from the US, I should say, because okay. what happened during the pandemic was um, an actually totally independent, very similar student-led, you know, young biologist-led initiative based in Panama, formed by Panamanian students called mm -hmm. Biomundi, started visiting the preserve as one of their sites that they studied and doing really, really excellent work in the vein of the project that we had already been doing. So I think, um, you know, they've sort of picked up the torch nice. um, where we left off in January, 2020. And I'm really hopeful that they are gonna want to continue returning to the preserve site because there's definitely a lot more to document still. Um, and then that, and that will become part of their sort of uh, network of sites that they visit and study. Mm -hmm. Their goals are to do these diversity surveys, not just in this one preserve, but around Panama and also they lead workshops, educational workshops about doing field biology. It's a really incredible group. Yeah. And it's been fun to learn about them and, and sort of meet them at least virtually. I haven't met them in person, but um, that's one, one thing we were already trying to do uh, even in our last expeditions was um, involve more and more Panamanian students and sort of transfer leadership a bit more to um, Panamanian students. Yeah. So this was a sort of coincidence that turned out to be really good timing. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was a, a bonus. Yeah. And so I think moving forward, um, we'll see. I, I don't feel sort of territorial about who gets to do that work in the preserve. I think honestly, it would be better if it's um, being you know, taken over by this group of Panamanian students. Yeah, of course. I think yeah. that makes a lot more sense than uh, Americans doing it. But to the degree that we can connect and provide resources, because we had a lot of success fundraising to, to run these experiments, uh, 
these experiences, you know, I'd love to keep doing that, connecting resources into this sort of work happening in the preserve. Um, but yeah, we'll we'll sort of see how how um, much that group Mundi wants to sort of take take the reins from here. Yeah. Um, and I love spending time there. Just if you love biodiversity, then the tropics is just where the most biodiversity is. And sure. um, it's, it's incredible to spend time there. Um, but yeah, I, I just want the work to happen and the preserve to be successful. Right. So I don't, I don't personally care about, you know, being in charge of any of it, but yeah, sure. Yeah. It seems like this idea of, okay, this is important work to be doing in the preserve has sort of taken off and hopefully has momentum of, of its own now. Yeah, of course. I feel like that's that's almost part of it. I mean, you know, things that I wanted to ask you about is kind of like what what place do these you know, exhibitions and research exhibitions have in the future of biodiversity? And I feel like a lot of it is, I mean, again, correct me if I'm wrong because you've been doing it, but it's um, about the more you document, the more chance you have of protecting areas and the more resources you can kind of provide. But also what you're saying about the sort of outreach and education around it and sharing of those ideas is probably really important because like, as you know, I'm, I'm the same. I love going to the tropics. I love going to those areas because it's so different, but also we've got plenty of wildlife around us. And it's almost the more we kind of share those with the rest of the world and look at other places and kind of know about it and have this interconnected knowledge. That seems really important. Yeah, absolutely. That's so, okay. Maybe we're jumping ahead a little bit, but sort of what I've been doing a lot of thinking about more recently is like the ethics of doing this sort of work yeah. and what will feel correct and responsible for um, me, someone who's grown up in the Northeastern United States sure. and still lives here moving forward. Um, and it's, yeah, something that I continue to think about and, and learn about and have learned a lot in you know, the last four or five years since I've been really interested in doing conservation work. Um, so yeah, okay. There's a couple of different directions. That yeah, going sure. Here. Go but, for it. No, because I, I, I mean, what, well, I'd like to ask about what you mean by the ethics, but please take us in the direction you want to go. Because I think, again, I, I think there are a lot of people who would probably feel similarly these days to what you're yeah. sort of describing. Yeah. So, I, I mean, um, let's see. How do I, so Basically, a lot of my excitement about um, Panamanian students sort of taking over the biodiversity documentation work at Mamadi Valley Preserve is what, what I'm interested in practicing and supporting is um, what uh, this idea that Aldo Leopold, a famous American conservation writer, developed called the land ethic, which is basically just extending our definition of the community that we participate in and have responsibility to try to be good members of, mm. expand our definition of community to include not just human people and human institutions, but the non-human life that we live among as well. So your local ecosystems that you participate in. Um, and there, there's an emphasis there on uh, doing work locally that yeah. you sort of have stakes in because you belong to that community. And 
that so <laughs> I'm interested in the Panamanian students sort of taking over this work because that is more much more of their community um, than it is mine, right? Mm. I'm sort of an outsider when I go visit those spaces. Yeah. And I'm happy to feel welcomed when I do, but I don't there there's a fine line between like uh you know a more imperial colonial sort of um mm. work especially when land protection and, and which means land ownership yes, uh, yeah. becomes involved and so the these sorts of ideas um make me want to focus more on uh sort of the communities that i have participated in my whole life and continue to participate in on a daily basis, not just the communities that I get to visit once a year for a week, you know? Yeah. Um, and to the extent that connection to resources that I have here because of certain privileges of which country I come from and what, you know, schools I got to go to and this sort of thing can be helpful to communities that I've connected with, for instance, in Panama, then I hope to continue supporting them. Mm. But I think moving forward, um, I'm really excited to see super talented young Panamanian field biologists sort of step in and be responsible for this work um, that they want to do and are fully capable of doing. They're better tropical field biologists than I am by a mm. long shot. Um, while I sort of focus on, you know, New England, the region that I'm from, but yeah. have that connection where we can talk to each other and share ideas and um, support each other and, you know, stay interested in each other's work and, and visit each other's places and, yeah. and learn from each other still. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, that seems like a, I mean, just a very beautiful way of putting it in a way, because again, it's about supporting from a place where, what, what, what can you do? And you've done an asset, you know, certain amounts and then true sustainability is saying, right, well, that's exactly, okay. You guys are better at this. You guys know the area and it's, that's fantastic. And saying that's wherever you are, you know, it could be like, I talk to people here in the UK and it's the same as people know their land and you say, yeah, you guys know the mm -hmm. land. That's fantastic. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think that's just a really, it's, it's a good kind of goal, especially when, there's you know more emphasis on on local management and indigenous knowledge being written yeah. into COP and things like that. I think it's really important to talk mm -hmm. about. Yeah, absolutely. And I think in some ways, for like you know everyone out there, it makes the goal of doing environmental work or sustainability work sort of uh, more concrete to say like okay, let's focus on being really good stewards of the communities that we live in and participate in um, and the ecosystems that we live in and participate in. And, you know, to the extent that we have time and resources to also be supporting work that happens elsewhere, great, and, and we should do that. But I think maybe our, our first priority should always be focusing on being good environmental stewards where we're living, you know? Yeah. I was going to ask about your right. Maybe we did go ahead. I'm going to ask about your philosophy of environmentalism and like what keeps you going and what you think is important. But it sounds like it's it's along those lines, right? Of 
of kind of just being a good steward in your yeah yeah totally yeah these are sort of um the ideas that i've been thinking about a lot lately and very much influenced by people like aldo leopold the stuff that aldo leopold was writing and more recently robin wall kimmerer um her book braiding sweetgrass which is deserves to be as praised and, and popular as it is um i think it's absolutely incredible and insightful and has helped me sort of get intellectually to to the place where i am now and, and still hopefully continuing to grow and figure out new things and um, but that is really an emphasis on participating in, in community and defining community to include non-human life as well. Yeah. Um, and I, I think the, the way that I think about the, the modern challenge is it's become more and more difficult to be aware of our membership in a community that extends beyond humans. Mm. And this is a result of like, you know, the incentives of a market driven economy uh, have, you know, no regard for geography as soon as transportation becomes sort of trivially cheap that, okay, we can grow food over here and ship it over there. Let's see, we get, uh, we have become in the last you know, century plus in places like the US, totally dislocated from the like material environmental basis of our lives. And the result of that is that it's super easy to think of humans and the stuff humans are doing as separate from the rest of life on earth and that's no one's fault. Um, but the result is that we have to, I think, try to train ourselves to remember that we participate in community. We have to remember that our actions of, are affecting, you know, species that are not human and don't necessarily, you know, want the same things that we want, um, yeah. How? but have just as much right to be living and thriving. So, yeah. Yeah, it, the, the, this is the modern challenge. Yeah, like that's but that's re, it. It's, reconnecting because it's the it's, base, the material basis of our lives. Yeah, but it's it's big because you're right. It's, it's I mean the old what's what's the line? It's it's not our fault, but it's our responsibility. Um, how yeah. do we take that back? Because it is. I mean, it is our responsibility. Because I think it's yeah. I mean, I th I think it's it's a problem. I, I think again, it's not. It's not that anyone is the problem. It's just that we're all kind of detached, like you said. So trying to get people back into that mindset is really, really hard because the way that we grow up is completely, that's completely alien to us. So we're not relating to the natural world. We're not sort of within wildlife and it's difficult. And I just, I mean, it's the golden question is how, right? How do you get people back? Do you have the answer? Yeah. Well, I mean, that's the kind of work I want to do moving forward is like, okay, if that's the modern challenge is like uh, reminding people of the fact of interconnectedness, right? It's not humans separate from everything else. It's humans impacting and being impacted by and depending on um, all these other life forms that we live amongst. That's sort of the... the 
insight or the thing that we need to to remember is this interconnectedness. Yeah, the, the work I would love to do moving forward is like, how do we uh, remember that or feel that in a very deep way that's going to affect how we vote and how we buy food and how we, you know, consume or don't consume or, yeah. you know, our sort of everyday decisions um, being framed and motivated by a, a real appreciation of, okay, my actions don't just affect me. They don't just affect my family or the other humans that I live among, but they affect all of these other life forms. Um, and let me do what I can to make sure that those effects are as benign or helpful or not as bad uh, as possible. Yeah. Oh, it's a big one. Yeah. You... Oh yeah. It's extreme. I mean, no one person can do it. Right. But we just need a lot of people who are interested, I think, yeah. in communicating that sort of thing. And occasionally you'll get some really brilliant writer like Robin Wall Kimmerer who can do it super effectively um, on, on a large scale. But I think just a lot of people sort of sharing these ideas in their communities that they participate in yeah hopefully will you know keep us moving but do you think there's do you think there's a way so because we're we're sort of already talking about about solutions and you know philosophies about the way people live and uh, the way people shape their lives but how especially in a world that's so globally connected especially through social media um and the way that i know that the way a lot of kids get their news is through social media um it's difficult to kind of bring that local idea back, right? Of this is your perspective. You're stuck in this life, not in a bad way. That's a great this point. is your life. But then, I mean, it's, I know it's, it's unhelpful, but I keep coming back to how. And the work I think you're no, talking that's... about is so important. But then, what, do you reckon there are anything that sort of younger people can do to tap into that perspective and that? The benefits, because it's not all about, oh, you know, you need to do this for the world. It's actually very beneficial to all of us, right? It's a great point. We're, we're, in, a, we're in this weird moment where uh, our community feels larger geographic. It almost feels like free of geography, right? The community yeah. on the internet is like completely unrelated to geography, but ecology is still like pretty related to geography, right? So when you start thinking about participating in in an environmental community, that is local in a geographic sense. Um, I think there's a lot of opportunities, hopefully, this is my uh, optimist uh, speaking here, opportunities created by social media or the interconnectedness of, you know, contemporary culture which is internet-based, there's a lot of potential downsides to social media. But um, I think the important thing for communicating this perspective of being a good steward of your community and being a good environmental steward, meaning focusing on the ecosystems that you participate in, Mm. the challenge then becomes how can you share across the globe an example that's generalizable Mm. like here's what i'm doing in my community and make sure that someone someone can imagine uh you know taking that and transforming it to apply to their life and their community yeah that's not it's not necessarily easy 
no, no, I suppose, you know, projects like Mamani um, Valley Preserve, that's that's the sort of thing where you get the, the ideas sharing and the communication, right? Um, yeah, that's what's important. So sort of wrapping that into a, a ball, I mean, because there's a lot in there for, for people to be able to, to take, but do you reckon there is one thing that you could recommend to people and it could be, I mean, I say people, it's a very generic, but the public, and they could be young, they could be old, but one thing that people would do to benefit our planet, what do you think it would be? Yeah, I mean, my, so my perspective is uh, this work that we've been talking about, I've called inside out work, like what can I do personally? Um, to focus on, you know, my own impact uh, on the world and sort of readjusting my framework of how I understand the world to work versus outside in work. And I think uh, there's a lot of that question maybe lends itself to a, a sort of outside in thing of like, you should take, you know, fewer flights and uh, focus on, you know, your power consumption and using renewable energy all of that outside in work of like concrete recommendations of things that people can do is super important, but I'm going to let other people who are better at thinking about that stuff, make those recommendations. My recommendation would be to uh, focus on this inside out work. And basically the question that I use almost like a mantra is how will I relate to non-human life? And just like, if you ask yourself that question enough times and think about it in different contexts, um, for me, it's, it's helpful to think about, okay, how am I uh, acting as a, as a community member in a community that includes more than human life, but you know, all of the organisms that I'm living among, how will I relate to non-human life? And what, what it suggests you do is try to be intentional about your behaviors um, and intentional in the sense that you're considering what are the possible impacts of this choice I'm making, not just for me, not just for my family and friends and neighbors who are human, but also my neighbors who are, you know, grasses and snails and, you know, bacteria yeah. and mushrooms. and so trying to think uh, or just cultivate in yourself a framework of intentionality where the goal is to be a good steward of your community and the community is not just humans but it's all of the stuff all of the living stuff that you live around and i guess non-living too i mean take care of the you know soil substrates and uh, this sort of thing too yeah <laughs> That's awesome. Ben, I think that's a really good place to uh, to leave it there. So thank you so much for, for coming on. That was, that was really brilliant. Great. Yeah. Thanks so much, Max.